Blood Brothers podcast with Ben Steiger and Eric Metz. Today we're going to be diving into the topic of becoming more like Jesus. But before we do, I want to share a review from one of our listeners named Rick. Rick says, wow, you guys are really knocking these out of the park. It is a true blessing listening to you two. Keep going. We appreciate it, Rick. Thanks again for your compliment and just kind words and and extending that out to us. And uh, we just thank you for taking the time to send that note. So we appreciate you listening. Well, today we're going to dive into this topic of becoming more like Jesus. And And Ben gave us a little teaser a couple of podcasts ago about this elk story. So I want to start there with you, Ben. What's this elk story you were talking about on your adventure you had back in, I think, September, you went on that trip. So Yeah, it stretches uh, a little further than September, though. And hey, if anybody's wondering why I'm wearing a hat, because it's hunting season and I don't have time to get haircuts. <laughs> I do need one. I think that uh, maybe tonight Milo might give me give me a haircut. She's my, uh, my own personal hairstylist. <laughs> But, uh, no, it's, uh, it's hunting season here in Ohio and throughout the United States. And, uh, and so much of my life has revolved around, uh, hunting and the pursuit of, uh, game and adventure and relationships. And, uh, you know, years ago, my dad started me and my brothers, uh, in hunting because he wanted to have a relationship with us, to spend time with us, to invest in us and, uh, and to love us and God's, uh, outdoors. And, uh, man, I'm so thankful and grateful that he did. And that led me to just, uh, a lifestyle uh, that revolves around, uh, the outdoors and adventure. And, uh, over the years, elk hunting has become, uh, man, a significant passion of mine and something where, uh, God uses to speak deep to deep to my heart, deeper than uh, most ways. Uh, when I get in the mountains, when I get unplugged and in the backcountry, uh, it's just incredible how God speaks. Some pastors and missionaries, evangelists, they go to retreats and conferences, and I go to the mountains. And that's just where God speaks to my, my heart, ministers to my soul. And uh, years ago, I was filming for a TV show, Game and Gear Adventures. And, uh, it was a hunting show and this was before, this was before, you know, there was a thousand different TV hunting shows and this, that, and the other. And, uh, me and my buddy, Dave Boise were sent out West on an elk hunt and, uh, we were doing it for this TV show, but, uh, we were also doing it for our ministry heart to the outdoors. And it was about reaching people for Jesus and, uh, capturing neat, uh, things on, on film and sharing it with others to share the gospel. And, uh, I remember getting out there and uh, where was it? It was uh, the Battlement Mesas in uh, Western Colorado and talking to this outfitter. And he said, well, don't don't think it's going to happen. Like it's elk hunting's hard. And I'm like, oh, man, we got God on our side. This this is going to happen. You know, I was young. <laughs> I was arrogant and I was proud. And uh, and I didn't understand at all what God wanted uh, to do. Needless to, to say, we did not kill an elk that first year, nor did I kill an elk uh, the second year. Multiple opportunities, multiple uh, different scenarios. But man, I was so frustrated those first couple of years of elk hunting. I had gone elk hunting to kill an elk, and that's why I went elk hunting. And uh, year three came and went, and I didn't kill an elk. And I started to see, man, they, that God was doing something uh, in and through elk hunting, uh, that didn't have to do with me killing an elk. 
uh, it had more to do with what he wanted to speak to my heart. And so year five, four and five came and uh, that truth become became deeper, but I was still so frustrated that, uh, that I couldn't kill an elk. I tried so hard. I trained so hard. I considered myself the most successful, unsuccessful elk hunter uh, there was. And uh, I knew a lot about those animals, a lot about how to hunt them and how to get on them and uh, how to understand what they're doing, when they're doing and how they're doing it. And, uh, you know, in Western states, on average, it takes seven years for an out-of-stater, a non-resident, to harvest an elk. So here I am thinking, well, man, I know a lot more than a lot of guys that just end up coming out and uh, killing an elk. I ought to be able to uh, close the deal sooner than seven years. Well, year five, year six, year seven, still no elk. And uh, like, gosh, what is going on? And uh Going back to 2018, I took my dad on his first uh, elk hunt along with another friend and his son. And uh, man, we were high up in the Rocky Mountains and my dad was putting in some serious miles, stuff that he had never done before, you know, up and over logs. And you know, he's in his 60s at that point, or maybe it was late 50s. No, he was definitely 60s. And uh, uh, man, he was trying and I was certainly trying too. And my buddy was trying and we saw some elk, but we didn't get on anything. And uh, it's like, all right, I need to go find the elk. I need to go find them. I'm going to go climb this mountain and uh, see what I can see from above timberline. And, uh, I remember climbing this mountain. It was a bald top mountain, just rocky. And uh, I remember being scared, like, gosh, I was climbing up these rocks and I could see down in these crevices, no bottom at all. And I'm like, man, if one of these rocks move, this mountain's just going to swallow me up. Nobody will know where I am. Uh, but I kept going and Man, you get above the timberline, you can just see a perspective that you couldn't see from down below. And it was incredible. It was beautiful. And, uh, and I looked down to the, uh, to the west, and there was this lush green uh, horseshoe. It was, it was lush green growth with, uh, with dead timber around the edges and in the center, making this perfect horseshoe. And there was some water down there. And I was like, man, that is where the elk are. And if a horseshoe isn't a sign from God, then I don't know what is. I'm, that's where we're going. So I went back to base camp. I told dad and the, the others, and I said, Hey, come on, let's go. And they said, Nope, <laughs> we're going to hunt here around camp. We've, we've had all, all we can get. And uh, I said, okay, well, I'll be back in a day or two. I grabbed my gear and uh, took off on a hike. And a couple hours later, I get to where I want to set up my, my spike camp. I set up camp and uh, the thermals are coming up at this point, the wind that's coming up, temperatures are rising. And I start easing my way down into where uh, this horseshoe is. And sure enough, uh, I mean, I get to the edge of it and I see a giant bull with his antlers stuck in a tree. He's raking his antlers just up and down. And uh, it's the perfect scenario because when a, when a big bull elk has his antlers in the tree and he's just slat, just trashing, you know, this tree, he's completely distracted and he can't see and, uh, and he can smell, but the wind's coming up still. So like, all right, this is awesome. There's not much between me and him, but I take off my boots, have all my socks so I can be extra quiet and I'm slipping in and I get to 80 yards and I feel the wind on the back of my neck. I'm like, oh crap. And sure enough, that elk took his head out of that tree, went like that, looked right at me, and he was gone. I was like, oh, gee whiz. 
all right, well, I'm going to sit down here. This is a good spot. I'll just sit and wait. So I sit, I call, I do this, that, and the other. Darkness is coming. I start packing up my stuff. I'm like, dang. But then I look up, and here comes this giant bull elk, the second largest elk I've ever seen. And uh, he's huge, and he's coming like he's on a string. He's responding to my call. He was just waiting till, till he felt more comfortable with the sun going down. I still had enough light to be able to pull this off. So I get, get my bow up and he's coming 70 yards, 60 yards, 50 yards. I'm getting ready to draw my bow back and he's, he's right at me. It's not like he's broadside. And, uh, dang, again, I feel the wind on the back of my neck and, uh, this wasn't thermals. This would have been a, a, a wind coming left to right or whatever. And, uh, it went right to him and he was gone. He was out of there. Oh my gosh, father, what are you doing? And this was uh year, year six or year seven uh, of elk hunting. And I, I go back up to camp. And I'm just like, gosh, you know, I'm thinking about how often God, you know, or the Holy Spirit's related to the wind and uh, thinking, God, I got to believe that, that that was you. Like, like you didn't want me to kill those elk. Like uh, that you, you, uh, you want me to, to figure something out. So I remember packing up camp the next day and I'm walking back to the base camp and, uh, thinking and pondering just, all right, God, you're behind this. So, so let me ask you a question. When am I going to kill an elk? And, uh, you know, in his non audible voice, but as clear as day, just felt, felt it resounding inside of me. He said, when it's not about you, Ben, you know, because up to that point, we were filming, doing uh, di different things with media. And, uh, man, I wanted to kill an elk. I wanted to prove to the world. And so I, I, I go like this. And for anybody that can see this, I'm, I'm acting like I'm holding, you know, elk antlers. And, and I'm behind this animal showing it off, you know, to everybody. I wanted to prove to everybody else that I could do it. And God didn't want it to have anything to do about me and my abilities. And uh, he said, when it's not about you and that hit right to the heart, I knew exactly what he meant. You know, just the pride, you know, the arrogance, the fear, the validation, you know, all those things. And, uh, you know, making a long story shorter, uh, 2019 came 2020, 2021 came all those years. I came and I recognized before, before I even left on the trip that it wasn't going to happen like that, that my, my heart hadn't changed to the extent that it wasn't about me. And, you know, it was so frustrating to me, but I understood like it was so frustrating that I couldn't just snap my fingers and change my heart. I couldn't just say, Nope, it's not about you anymore, Ben. Uh, I couldn't just do that. And it was frustrating yet. I recognized that God wanted to work in me uh, through that process. Year in and year out, elk hunting is the hardest thing uh, I physically, emotionally, and mentally get myself into uh, combined uh, every year. And I continue to subject myself uh, to this. Uh, I started out by talking about how God speaks to me in those times when I stress myself physically, mentally, emotionally, I find myself just spiritually vulnerable and the father just has a way of speaking deep to my heart. And, uh, you know, it's interesting going into, uh, this past 
elk season, uh, 2022, September, uh, it felt weird because I was like, man, I don't have that feeling like I'm not, not going to kill an elk, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, man, maybe I am. I don't know, but I wasn't thinking, thinking that I was, but I wasn't knowing for sure that I wasn't. And, uh, I go into the season and I'm doing something I didn't want to do necessarily personally. Uh, I'm going to meet my friend, Brian, uh, below the continental divide. And this dude, he is a mountain man. He will go and spend 30 some days in the wilderness, you know, by himself and, wow. uh, kill an elk <laughs> and just goes 20, 30 miles and just crazy stuff. And, uh, I didn't want, uh, to pack in 10 miles. Uh, I didn't want to carry all that weight on my back. I just, I didn't feel like it this year, but I knew it was something I needed to do. I needed to spend that time with Brian. And, uh, so here I am, uh, below the continental divide, hiked in 10 miles, 85 pounds on my back where every step it hurts, but it's a feel good hurt. You know, I've learned to know that, uh, the hard things, you know, is where the great things uh, happen. And I make it to camp and rest that night. And the first full day, man, I have some, some altitude sickness going on, just a little bit of a headache, not, not too bad, but we chase elk all day and, uh, we don't get into them, just have a great time together. And then he hunts completely differently than I do, where he uses his binoculars, uh, man, for hours, he's looking at stuff 50 yards away. He's not looking at the trees in front of him. He's looking through the trees and, He's very successful. And here I am on year 10 and haven't killed an elk. And so I'm listening. I'm, I'm a student uh, to him. And the first Sunday, September, uh, we go up to glass, you know, so use our binoculars to try to find elk uh, just below the Continental Divide. And Brian goes to one side of the ridge and I'm sitting out on this point and I'm just looking and deep inside me, man, again, I just, I just hear, I feel, I experience the voice of God. Ben, today's your day. You're going to kill an elk. I'm like, what? Yeah, today's your day. You're going to kill an elk. And, you know, like people hear that and they say, you're crazy. You know, God doesn't talk like that. Well, you say whatever you want to say. But he spoke to me uh, that morning. Yeah. He, he told me that. And uh, so much so that my buddy Brian comes back around the ridge and we'd been hearing a bull elk bugle. And so he was on that side trying to find him. He comes back around and I look him in the eyes and said, dude, I'm going to kill an elk today. <laughs> and I had to ask him later to make sure I said that just to make sure I'm not making up, you know, these narratives in my, in my mind. He's like, good. Cause I just saw him. And I was like, sweet, let's go. And so we dropped down this Valley. We're coming up hours into the hunt and man, we can't find them. Uh, we don't hear them anymore. It's getting hot. Bummer. Uh, we're glassing elk on another ridge. And he's like, maybe we should go after those. I was like, no, I really, really think this is the one, buddy. And uh, we eat our lunch. It's unseasonably warm. It's in the 70s. Not necessarily unseasonably, but it's it's hot. It's a lot hotter than you want it to be for elk hunting. And uh, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. He's like, all right, well, let's just, let's just ease our way up this ridge. And uh poke in every now and then and, and look, let's look to see if we can see anything. So we're easing up. I get this slight sniff of an elk, which isn't uncommon, but you know, you just pay a little more extra attention. It's really crunchy. So we're only moving when the wind's blowing and 
I step around this tree and I don't see anything. I get out my binoculars and I'm doing it just like Brian had done it. And I'm looking and man, I see a piece of an antler and I see more antler. I'm thinking it's a mule deer, but then the body materializes and it's laying right there. It's a giant bull elk. He's laying, you know, facing away from me. Not, not necessarily giant, but he was giant to me. And, uh, he's at 73 yards and there's hardly anything between me and him. And yeah, I can make a 70 yard shot, but that's not at all the shot I want to take. And, uh, I look at Brian and he looks back at me. He's like, you know, you know what you need to do. So I take off my boots. I drop my bag. I just have me, my bow and, uh, my range finder. And I'm slipping down, uh, this hill. Every time the wind blows, I would move. Every time he turns his head away, I would move. And, uh, this dude's never moved so slow in his life. Like it was like slow motion, you know, as I'm taking one step down, it's a steep angle that I'm going. And Brian's filming this whole time and, uh, and he's praying and, uh, he's just, he's just saying, God, just help him to be able to get in close, help him to be able to deliver just an excellent shot for that animal, not to suffer and for there to be an incredible harvest and for you to speak to Ben's heart, you know, and all these different things, you can hear him on the camera. He did, he doesn't, he's not thinking about being recorded. So I'm slipping down, I get to 50 yards and I get out my range finder or where I think's 50 yards, get out my range finder and my hand's shaking like this <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I get on them and, uh, 50 yards. I'm like, Holy cow, God, I'm shaking so bad. Lord, if you're behind this and get me to 40 yards, if you're behind this, get me to 40 yards. So I ease in a little bit further, ducking under a tree. And sure enough, I get to a place where I think it's 40 yards. I get out my range finder. And again, my hand's shaking so bad as I'm trying to range them. I'm like, crap, come on, Ben, you can do this. It's like shooting a deer. And, uh, it took me 15 minutes, you know, to close that 33 yards. Like that's how slow, uh, I was moving and I'm shaking. I'm thinking, gosh, when I draw my bow back, I'm going to be shaking really bad. Uh, God, if, if when he turns his head, if I could just crouch down and get on my knee to stabilize myself, well, a minute and a half, I stand there and he doesn't move his head. And I'm thinking, gosh, Ben, you're going to, he's going to run away. You've trained, you've prepared for this. Trust it. And, uh, you can make this happen. You can make this shot. So I draw my bow back and, uh, man, I let an arrow fly and it finds its mark. And, uh, you know, that beautiful animal, uh, doesn't go more than 20 yards and, uh, falls over dead, you know, like just no suffering. Like, I mean, no suffering more than an arrow in the heart <laughs> will cause, but it wasn't <laughs> like this long elaborate, yeah, yeah. uh, suffering. And I was very thankful for that good, clean, uh, shot. And despite the heat, uh, thanks to Brian's help, we were able to get all the meat down to the Creek and get it cooled and salvage it. And incredible experience, just, just incredible how God had worked, uh, through that process in that day. But the point of the story, me sharing it on the podcast years ago, I heard the founders of Patagonia and North Face share a story. And uh, I'm going to see if I can share it in a way that's appropriate for <laughs> this podcast. But they were talking about when they were younger, that man, when they climbed Mount Everest, they had to carry everything they had to carry in their backpack, their tent, their sleeping bag, uh, their food, their ropes, oxygen, if they needed medical supplies, everything they needed to carry everything. And they said, daggone nowadays, people don't have to carry anything, but their granola bars and their water bottle. 
they arrived to camp and the tent's already set and forgive me like i'm probably butchering this but uh, you'll get the point the the tent's already set the sleeping bag's out and the pillow's out and there's a stinking mint right on top of their pillow they did not use the word stinking and uh, and then they look at each other and they say you know what if you compromise the process you're an a-hole when you start not using a hole and you're an a hole when you finish. And, uh, that resonated with me significantly years ago when I heard it, but it resonates even more now that God is working out a process in each of us. It used to be as a young man, when I recognized hard things, I considered them obstacles to avoid. Now, as an older man, I recognize hard things, as opportunities to grow and to be challenged and that it's in the hard things is where God does the greatest things. And so now when I see uh, a challenge, I don't look at it as that sucks and I don't want to do it. I look at it as, wow, this is going to hurt. This isn't going to feel great, but man, I can't wait to see what God has on the other side. So, Eric, when I think about uh, all things, you know, for a man that's surrendered, that he really wants what God wants, it, that he's going to use all things to get our attention. And years ago, when I started praying the prayer, Lord, strip me of my pride, strip me of my arrogance, strip me of my fear. I had no idea that the number one way he was going to do that was through elk hunting. And uh, I'm sure I could go on, but I'm sure sure you probably have some things you want to you throw in uh at this point, but, uh, yeah. what, the, what, what's that bring to mind for you? Yeah. For me, like I, to be honest, uh, I've never gone hunting in my life. So I have no idea like what all it goes into. And, you know, you, you describing just how you went in the slowness of the process and all that. And like, I'm thinking while you're saying this story, like God's working patience in you, mm-hmm. not only selflessness, like you were talking about, but patience to like only move when the wind moves and you know just that type of stuff but for me sports is my my go-to my passion and and football being the one that comes to mind as far as how God moved initially in my early years like high school and college and and then uh how getting married I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married Mm -hmm. and then I didn't really didn't realize how selfish I was until I had kids and then you're like thinking man it's a struggle it's a struggle but to your point now I've, I've got more patience for people. I'm able to love greater. It's given me the ability and the capacity to show compassion to somebody who may be struggling or, you know, in the similar boat of raising kids and, and, you know, maybe has something that's going on in their marriage that they need prayer for or need a, a, a listening ear for. So those type of things that God uses in our lives, not only our passions and hobbies, but also our life circumstances and situations builds our character to a place where we can also not only for our benefit but i think it also benefits other people because we die to ourselves and we are more patient and we are more understanding and extend grace yeah. and so that's what comes to mind when you share your story of just how god uses those things in our lives and and yes they're hard and they suck in the moment but man in the end afterwards it's like oh yeah i see what you were doing lord oh yeah i see what you were doing to mold me and to become more like you and so mm. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind. But I do have a question for hunt. I'm not a hunter. You yeah. you keep saying harvesting an elk, and I'm a, I grew up on a farm, so harvest always just means crops. But yeah, 
is that like the term I guess you use for hunting is harvesting an elk? I'm assuming that's what it is, but yeah, you know, some people will use killing, uh, you know, but I'm not a killer. Uh, you know, like I hunt to harvest, you know, the animal, you know, to, to, to bring it and to consume. Yeah. You know? And, uh, that's just how I, how I communicate. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> I yeah. it's sure. a, it's I a process, right? It's not just an action. Oh, yeah. Killing is part of the action. It's a real part of it, but it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's just part of it. So, so what are some motivations for you or benefits of becoming more like Christ that help help you get through those difficult times yeah. because for me, it, I've got to see what's the benefit to this to help me get through it is part of my motivation and yeah. can help yeah. me withstand the, the suck of life sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so. What benefits and motivates me, you know, to get through, you know, the hard times in life is knowing that God is working out uh, his perfect story, his masterpiece, that, that I'm just a part of it. You know, that God has proved himself faithful time and time again. And the more that I subject myself to his ways and to, to his will, instead of trying to do things my way, the more I learn that he's more faithful than I thought he was. He's more trustworthy than I thought he was. His timing is more perfect than I thought it was. And the more I experience him, uh, the more I'm able to let go, the more I'm able to let go, the more I'm able to become who God's created me to be, the more I'm able to tap into my godly potential. You know, when I was going through that process of recognizing that uh, it was about me having a clear answer from God, when I asked him, God, when am I going to kill an elk? And when he said, it's not, when it's not about you, I couldn't just snap my fingers and change my heart. I couldn't just say, it's not about me anymore. Okay, I'm ready to kill an elk. No, it was about me aligning myself with him so I could become more and more like him and hoping that, sure, one day I might be able to kill an elk, but finally get to the point where, you know what? The elk doesn't matter at all. What matters is me doing and becoming the man that God has called me and created me to be, becoming the best husband, the best father, the best friend, the best son, the best leader that I can be, and subjecting myself to him and his ways, aligning myself with truths and with individuals that help strengthen me. And so, you know, when I think about, you know, the benefit of walking in surrender, the benefit is a life that is defined by freedom defined by fulfillment, defined by purpose. I love how you describe that. Uh, that's what comes to mind too, is, is the blessings at the other end, right? The, the who am I going to be like and, and better relationships and a better, more peaceful life, more joyful life, knowing and trusting that God's word is true and that I will experience that on the other side. Yeah. Uh, one thing that, that comes to mind too, when we're thinking about we're in the middle of the struggle and we're trying to get through it, is also pausing and, and listening and you have the father speak to you. I think I'd encourage our listeners to, if you're in the middle of a struggle or if you're in the middle of something and you're like, what's going on, really take that time to pause and just ask God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Yeah. What are you trying to get me to understand or know, or what are you working in me to develop? So yeah. I think that would help also. I think when you can have the Lord speak into that moment, and give you an indication of what he's doing that really mm, will yeah. unlock the motivation as well as the benefits. So 
I know recently for me, I know in my head that I can't earn God's approval and that he loves me completely. Mm-hmm. And I can't add to that love or subtract from that love at all. I know in my head that, but my heart still struggles with feeling like I've got to appease him or make him happy and earn his love for me. And he taught me this past week through multiple situations, which just as a little story here, I kept, I was exhausted. I was tired. I was like, I could barely like get up for work. I could barely like, I was just exhausted. And I felt like he was almost putting his big finger on me (laughs) and like weighing me down Mm -hmm. to get me to a place of, I want you to stop working because I err on the religious side of the fence where it's like, Oh, I got to do the right thing. And I got to worry about doing the right thing. And, and like, he's want, he just put his big finger on me. It felt like to like pause, stop and rest yeah, and just get this in your head and your heart and your subconscious that you can't be better. And so I get a, a book given to me recently. It's called gentle and lowly. It's about how God's heart is gentle and lowly and loves, wants to take the burden off of us. And then I get a, a letter in the mail from this uh, newsletter I'm subscribed to. And on the top, the first article says gentle and lowly, like literally the same week. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those like, all right, Lord, I get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got it. I, I surrender. Right. I'm, I'm going to take action. And, and really, my step is to rest. My step is to trust. My step is to renew my mind. And so I feel like he's working in me right now currently in that way. So mm, that's good. just want to share that too, as a, as an encouragement that sometimes we need to stop and just surrender to what he's working in us and, and ask that question of mm-hmm. what are you trying to teach me? So, yeah. Well, and you talk about ask that question. I think so many of us don't ask, uh, we're, we're so busy doing right. That, uh, we don't take a step to say, wait a second, God, what, what's really going on here? And, and I really believe that, uh, he wants to answer our questions. You know, are we, do we have enough crap out of the way to hear it? Maybe, maybe not, you know, but, uh, he's answering those. Uh, we just need to tune in and, uh, and listen and ask. We become the, the average of our five best friends. Mm, That's typically a, yeah. a common saying out there, right? Well, if God, the father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit make up three of those top five best friends. We'd be pretty good. We'd be, <laughs> we, our good. average would increase and we would be uh, a lot better off. So I encourage you guys to dive in, spend time with him. And not only in the challenges of life do we experience him, but also in our quiet times. And, and a verse that comes to mind in this vein is Second uh, Corinthians 3.18. I'm going to talk about a veil here in a minute. So people that don't know Christ yet have a veil over their eyes. They don't see Christ as Savior. But those that are unveiled do see Christ as their Savior. So 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, mm-hmm. you know, knowing Christ, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so it's just an encouragement to you to behold the Lord, spend time with him, make him one of your top five best friends, and he will transform you from glory to glory by the Holy Spirit. And so just want to encourage those listeners out there to to let him do the work in you. Don't compromise the process and just let him Mm -hmm. work in you to become more like him. So, yeah.
Ben, anything else you want to share today on today's topic? Yeah. Well, recap, you know, I said, as a young man, I used to consider hard things, obstacles to be avoided. And, uh, I just want to encourage our listeners to know that it's, it's in the hard things that God does the greatest things. So if you're going through a hard time, look, look for Jesus in the middle of that storm and, uh, watch what he does when you just align your heart with him and say, okay, God, what do you have for me in this? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of struggles that, that we experience as humans from relationships to physical ailments and suffering, uh, job losses and uh, highs and lows. Uh, and God wants to be part of all of it. And uh, the more that we attune ourselves to him, uh, the more we'll see him and hear his voice. And, uh, you know, I think of the scripture in Matthew 6, it says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so, you know, so often uh, when we're going through those hard times, we want relief. We want victory. We want the outcome we want. And, uh, you know, God wants us to put our eyes on him, our trust in him, and to watch what he does. And that is where we find what we're looking for, freedom and fulfillment and purpose. Awesome. Thanks for summarizing that at the end. And so to, we just appreciate you guys listening to the podcast and our conversation. Thanks again, Ben, for sharing your elk story. It's really insightful to see how God was moving in your life. And and so, uh, yeah, just we encourage you guys to follow or subscribe our podcast. Um, you know, you'll be notified every first and third Thursday when we release these podcasts. That way you can tune in. Uh, also, we take encourage you to take some time and rate and review our podcast, and maybe you'll be featured just like Rick was today. Also, uh, in our show notes is a way to connect with us. We have our Instagram, Facebook, etc. And so, again, with that, thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Yeah.